Rob is a chief platform architect of NVIDIA's data center products, and we all extensively collaborate with uh, Rob. Um, Rob works with the global hyperscale uh, data centers in terms of his influence around uh, AI technology for future NVIDIA products and roadmaps. Uh, Rob has an extensive background in processor and system architecture, multiple patents, um, and is an expert in uh, AI and data center hardware. So with that, let me pass it on to Rob uh, to take it away. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much. I, um, so I'm going to start with uh, a slide, which is uh, you've basically already seen this a few times already. Uh, th this is a, a slightly older uh, slide um, uh, from NVIDIA. This is our view of how things were evolving, um, you know, a little over a year ago. Uh, very similar message, um, except, you know, we tend to use CEO math. Um, so <clears throat> the complexity and compute resources that are being consumed by AI, leading edge AI, is growing about 10x per year. So really easy number to remember. That ends up, uh, you know, it means it's doubling every few months. Um, and the reason this is happening is because it works so very well. Um, so the models get bigger, the data gets bigger, the data sets get bigger. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, the consumption is, is growing, uh, you know, an order of magnitude a year. Um, so in response to that, we do in fact have a very rapid hardware uh, evolution. We do take advantage of silicon advances. Um, we are constantly working on software optimizations. Um, but even so, you know, we, we can offer um, sort of on the order of 3x year on year improvements uh, through those mechanisms, uh, which is actually pretty astonishing when you step back and think about it. But in order to accommodate you know, 10x year on year, we're seeing, uh, it's very interesting, the, the CAGR that, that Barath showed. So, uh, you know, my, my trajectory shows about three and a half X year on year cluster growth size. So um, very similar number. So this is in effect, the problem statement of AI. As much as we're doing, as, a, as compelling and awesome a job as we're doing to make uh, uh, the, the uh, AI throughput more efficient and better, uh, it's still not nearly enough. So um, I, I also wanted to take a, a few cartoony slides here and, and try to help you see some of the, the problem as well. Uh, this was prepared for a DARPA workshop about a year ago. Um, and because of the position in the, in the ecosystem, I managed to talk to uh, all of the hyperscales and an awful lot of researchers in the world and get some anecdotal information about what the common, uh, you know, training size is, how, you know, what the clusters look like, and what, what they're doing. And uh, I, I happen to keep track of that over time. And um, this is sort of uh, anecdotally the way it's looking. And you can see the green bars are sort of the common GPU count in a single run for AI training. Um, and uh, you can see that going up over time. And in fact, um, one of the, uh, the, the AI100 uh, um, platform, which I'll show you later, uh, has been incredibly popular for scale, uh, you know, cluster training in the cloud. And uh, one of the cloud vendors has told me their most common, their average train, single training run size is 512 GPUs. So that's not the biggest, they're certainly getting well over a thousand. Um, that is their average 
uh, single run training size. So we're seeing that progression uh, of cluster size just compounding really rapidly. We're in talks with people deploying 2,000, 4,000 GPUs for single training runs. Um, and if you look at that, you know, that's sort of on the order of uh, you know, uh, megawatts per training run. So it's a big problem. And then um, I want to uh, also mention that uh, it, it's, it's a bit counterintuitive, but um, because of the heartbeat of these neural networks, they, um, you know, as Broth talked about, there's, there's, uh, there are different roof lines that we hit into, and uh, every different neural network has a different uh, heartbeat in this, and you will hit compute roof lines, uh, memory bandwidth roof lines, and communication uh, uh, um, roof lines. And you, you cycle through those and the transition between some of those has some very rapid uh, current changes. And over time, these, the, the transient power um, as a percent of the TDP power has been increasing over time. Now, I want to say this is very useful. It's valuable. An incredible amount of work gets done in this time period. But um, if you're talking about uh, a, a microsecond transient, that's going to be absorbed by the device and the, and the peripheral logic and the board level. But if you're talking about milliseconds or tens of milliseconds, which is, is really what's going on, um, that rolls back into the, into the infrastructure and uh, the power supplies, the racks, the rows. And if you start thinking about an average or typical run being 512 GPUs, you've actually got a row of compute infrastructure that is running synchronous uh, highly aligned, and these transients are massive. So um, uh, logically and uh, algorithmically, we're doing things to reduce those transients aggressively, um, but there is value to them. And I just want to point that out that in, in fact, it is more efficient to let those transients happen. It's just very hostile to the data center. Um, and another cartoon, uh, Broth sort of touched on this as well, is that if you take the current trends, and we're not seeing a slowdown, uh, if you take the current trends, we're talking about, um, uh, you know, 1000 megawatt training run in a few years, uh, you know, so gigawatts, and that's just, you know, it's hard to believe that's sustainable. Nonetheless, that's the direction we're going. Um, and then uh, the interesting thing is, is when I do talk to some researchers, they're like, no, 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 you know, 40,000 GPUs for a single run will, that will be sufficient. So um, even, even the, uh, the people who are fairly sanguine think it's an incredible number of GPUs that will be involved in a single training run. So um, again, this, this sets the problem statement. Um, I wanted to take a second, mostly just because this is kind of cool, um, uh, to, to help you visualize what, this, what these uh, look like. So on the top right is um, an A100 GPU. It's a full reticle or essentially a full reticle seven nanometer FinFET device. Um, in the real device would have uh, stacks of HBM down either side. And um, at bottom right is an HGX board. This is, uh, this is uh, called the Delta board. And if you uh, buy systems or if you go to, for example, Azure or uh, Google Cloud or, or AWS or Oracle Cloud, this is what you'll be using, this board exactly. Um, there are six 
uh, of the um, GPUs with heat sinks, two are shown there. Uh, so eight, eight um, A100 GPUs total, those are 400 watts each. And in the back row with the um, heat pipes are NV switches. Those are incredibly high bandwidth uh, um, interconnect and V-link interconnect between the GPUs. It's about two and a half terabytes per second, not terabits, terabytes per second between the GPUs. And then out the back, the connectors are uh, NV links that can exit the board, same bandwidth. So we have full bisectional bandwidth exiting the board that can be connected to other systems. On the bottom right, or sorry, on the, on the bottom left is the PCI interface to the host nodes. Um, this is a very heavy board. Uh, it it <laughs> consumes a lot of power, but it does very efficient compute. And if you look at the left is a diagram of the uh, sort of canonical reference architecture for a system built like this. Um, and the board on the right is just the green boxes labeled GPU and below it, the NV switches. So it's also connected to a PCIe switch plane with uh, NICs and uh, uh, local storage and then a high-end dual socket CPU. Um, and what we found ourselves going from a, from a, a gaming um, uh, card company to um, an HPC cluster company. So this is um, uh, Celine. It's our fourth generation reference design superpod. Um, and we've ended up having to do this both for our own internal research and development um, and uh, software development and tuning, but also because our customers are demanding it. The clusters are becoming so uh, complex that they want a reference design that's efficient, high powered, um, that they can rely on, they can drop uh, software on and predict their performance. So this is the number one ML perf um, benchmark machine that's commercially available. It's the number six on the top 500. So it's the most powerful uh, privately owned supercomputer in the world. And um, uh, depending on uh, the configuration, it's somewhere, it's number two to number 10 on the green 500. Half a year ago, it was number one. Um, so in spite of the power this, this uh, superpod consumes, it's, it's literally uh, about the most efficient way you can do complex computing on the planet. Um, and uh, front elevation, so you get an idea. This is what we call a scalable unit. It's uh, 20 nodes uh, of the, that you saw the picture of. Um, uh, and then um, we take seven of these scalable units that uh, include the, the compute, the power, um, uh, networking, and storage. Uh, we combine them and you get 1,120 GPUs uh, with a, a fully connected um, fabric. And then uh, we can stitch four of those together to easily get to a 4,000 GPU pod. Uh, and then those 4,000 units can be started to stitch back to back to get 8,000 or more. GPUs in a, in a pod. And this is a, a boilerplate design today. Um, uh, for example, Microsoft Azure is a logical clone. It is an exact copy of uh, the SuperPod architecture. Um, you know, with, with that, I, I kind of want to give you guys some, some key takeaways. Uh, I think really the challenge, the problem statement is that um, AI is consuming resources at about a 10x per year rate. Um, it, it is unbelievable, but we're not seeing a slowdown. If anything, we're seeing an increase in, uh, in that growth rate. Um, and also as Brock uh, pointed out, 
every neural network is different. The state of the art changes every six months. Each new uh, neural network architecture has very, very different uh, metrics. Some are uh, compute heavy, some are communication heavy, some are memory heavy. Um, and some are all of those, but at different points in the, in the training run, they, they hit a limit on each of those. So uh, flexible platforms are needed, you know, as, um, as appealing as it is to optimize hardware around these problems. I don't think we're there in the evolution of AI yet. It, it is changing still so unbelievably rapidly. Um, cluster scales, it's now really common to have hundreds or thousands of synchronous GPUs operating at, one, at once on a single problem. Um, that number is likely to grow even as the, the capability and power dissipation of those GPUs continues to grow. And um, it's, you know, optimizing throughput per watt or throughput per dollar or throughput per system. Um, it's not just teraflops. It really is uh, both uh, bandwidth and latency for networks and memories. It can be memory capacity and as well at times it's teraflops. And um, again, there's, there's real value that you can extract from those difficult power transients. Um, you actually get overall a more efficient uh, throughput, but it, it is a real challenge for infrastructure and power provisioning to accommodate those things. So I think that's it um, for me. I don't know uh, if we have time for questions or not. We do, uh, uh, Rob, for a question. Um, I think I will... Yeah, maybe look back at the one that we had earlier for Catherine, and I think you may be able to take a crack at it from an AI context. Uh -huh. In current state-of-the-art data centers, how do you look at energy consumed by compute memory versus rest of the cluster, and how do you see this changing going forward? Uh, no, that that is a great question. I, I would say traditionally, um, uh, it's it's been a fairly stable ratio between CPU cores and network bandwidth, so it's been it's been fairly constant. Um, what we're finding is. Um, as clusters grow, uh, you know it's it's no big surprise that the um, the cross-sectional bandwidth that's required also grows uh, super linearly, and uh, we're very quickly seeing um, the fabric be a major contributor to the overall power consumption, and that is very concerning. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we ourselves are trying to do a few things to, to, to minimize the amount of energy going into the communication, both algorithmically and, um, and physically, but it, it is not enough. And uh, there are tremendous opportunities there. Um, one of the biggest issues is we, can, we cannot compromise latency. Latency is very critical. So um, it, it, I, I think as a percentage, it is growing pretty aggressively. Baroth, there's also a question in the Q&A section. I can read it if you can't see it right now. Uh, go ahead, Mark. So uh, the question is around um, how you, you talked about 10x power growth rate um, and how, how is that divided on the training side versus the inference side? Um, so, so it's not entirely the same, but we are definitely seeing the, the same trend on inference. Like we, we've got... Um, 
a couple of um, we have a couple of customers who are um, you, you know you 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 know we've gotten used to talking about very small devices for inference uh, you know especially with embedded you know you know our mobile phones can do things um, you know automotive applications but the reality is is some of these neural networks are so immense that we have uh, several customers who are actually using the full DGX system I showed, you know, that full huge board, that is a single uh, inference machine, one inference, one at a time. Um, and and uh, obviously we're working to try to optimize that, but I think that's the long-term trend is that inference is also going to have a lot of complexity and in, in, um, capability consumption. And not, not to mention the sheer number of inferences that happen. Uh, it, it, it is a brutal workload, I think, on data centers. I see John. Is there any water cooling? I mean, getting four kilowatts off a board is pretty impressive. When does water cooling become necessary? <laughs> uh, when we can't do air cooling anymore. I think... Um, uh, conceptually, everybody loves liquid liquid cooling. Um, immersion cooling is is really awesome. They're just really awkward to deploy in the data center, and and as a result, everybody's preferring to avoid it as long as possible. Um, but but yeah, I think we're right on the cusp. I, honestly, I, we we were expecting our next generation to require liquid cooling. I think we've dodged that bullet for the moment, but. Um, but there are a lot of data centers that simply can't accommodate this kind of cooling and they will migrate to liquid or immersion. Uh, we, we have some, uh, we're getting some fantastic experience with immersion as, as well. It's a, it's a great way to cool. It's incredibly awkward to build a data center for it. Thanks. Dodging the bullet sounds like the right word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. That certainly sounds like the right word. Uh, uh, thank you, Rob.